Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, please, and turn this morning First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, the second chapter. First Thessalonians, chapter 2. Christians should not be motivated to serve the master by emotional manipulation. But certainly biblical considerations cause us to be motivated in our service for the Lord. And that's why we're in a series of messages right now on the Christian's crowns, the Christian's crowns. Every Christian should want to cast a crown at the feet of the Savior. The book of the Revelation tells us that that will one day be our experience. Five crowns are identified in the New Testament. Last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, and we identified the incorruptible crown. This morning, we're opening our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where we discover the soul winner's crown. There's also, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, a watcher's crown that's promised to all those who love His appearing. The Word of God shares with us that there's a crown of life that can be enjoyed. James chapter 1 as well as Revelation chapter 2 speak of the crown of life. The Word of God talks about a crown of glory in 1 Peter chapter 5 for those who are faithful under shepherds for the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. We're opening our Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to begin our reading in the 17th verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verse 17. We read, but we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered me. Now watch now, as we enter into verse 19, Paul's going to ask a rhetorical question, then he's going to give a very remarkable answer to that question that he asked. Here comes the rhetorical question. He says, for what is our hope or joy or a crown of rejoicing. Now the answer, are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ it is coming? Ye are our glory and our joy. Paul is saying that the people in the church at Thessalonica will be his crown at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at His coming. Now, Paul says the same thing in Philippians chapter 4, writing to the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19, as well as in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1, The Apostle Paul is referring to people as his personal crown. Why? Because Paul was instrumental in bringing people, the people at Thessalonica and the people at Philippi, to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a soul winner. Those that he brought to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he considered to be his crown. He's speaking about the soul winner's crown. What is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? You are our glory and our joy. This morning I want to ask, how can I win the soul winner's crown? 
How can I win the soul winner's crown? We're going to be focused on that this morning, seeking to find an answer to that question from God's Word. So let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into His Word today. Father, I pray that you'd use the message this morning to challenge each one of us that we live with eyes open, seeking after the one who alone is worthy of our praise, to make the opportunities that you've given to us fruitful so that we might be fervent in spirit serving you, that we might be laying up reward in heaven, and Lord, that we might consider the opportunity that's before us this morning to receive the soul winner's crown, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Back in April of 2022, LifeWay Research conducted a survey of 1,011 American Christians. Survey question, have you been one who's shared your faith with others in the past six months? 70% of the Christians surveyed said, I have not shared my faith with a stranger in the last six months. 62% said, I have not shared my faith with a friend or a family member in the last six months. Someone once asked the great preacher Lyman Beecher, what do you consider the greatest thing a human being can ever do? Beecher responded, the greatest thing is not that one should be a scientist, as great as that is, nor even that one should be a theologian, as immeasurably important as that is. But the greatest thing of all is for one human being to bring another human human being to Christ Jesus as Savior. Proverbs chapter 11 agrees, saying in verse 30, he that winneth souls is wise. Daniel chapter 12 declares in verse 3, that they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and forever. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19, as well as in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul refers to people, people that he has brought to the Savior as his crowns. Every believer ought to want to receive the soul winner's crown. Every believer ought to want to receive every crown. Surely the soul winner's crown ought to be our desire. I'd like to show you how you can win the soul winner's crown. Let's first discover that you can win the soul winner's crown by shining, by shining. Your Bibles are open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is seeking to defend the integrity of his ministry. Look what he says in verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 9. Paul writes, For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. The Apostle Paul knew what you and I need to know, that the gospel needs to be lived out through lives that are consecrated to the Lord, lives that are seeking to be unblameable before the Lord and others. Those who win the soul winner's crown seek to live unblameable lives. You see, the gospel needs to be seen through the prism of your life before it can be heard through the testimony of your words. There's nothing more powerful than the power of a changed life. And the Word of God tells us 
that we are not to be conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That changed life is a powerful frame in which the gospel can be displayed. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in verse 13 of chapter 2. Paul rejoices that the Thessalonians have received the message of the gospel with these words. For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as it were the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The Thessalonians had received the message of the gospel that had been backed up by the life of the gospel preacher. The soul winner's crown is won by shining as a light in a corrupt culture. You cannot effectively bring another person to know the Lord if you personally are walking in darkness. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15 exhorts us, be blameless and harmless, sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights, holding forth the word of light. Your personal behavior will impact your ability to share the gospel. What you do and what you say will either qualify you or disqualify you from winning the soul winner's crown. To receive the soul winner's crown, you need to be shining for the Savior. On a dark, stormy night, the waves were growing like mountains on Lake Erie. The captain of the ship was seeking to bring the ship to harbor, hoping as quickly as possible to do so. He saw the headlight at the harbor. He cried to the helmsman, Are we steering in the right direction? Yes, said the helmsman, I believe we are. Where are the lower lights? Said the captain to the helmsman. Those lights that would guide the ship home. The helmsman reported back to the captain, Gone out, sir, gone out. Shortly afterward, the captain with all his might steering that ship to the safe harbor fell upon the rocks. P.P. Bliss, the songwriter, Heard the story of the wreck on Lake Erie. He wrote the words, Brightly beams our Father's mercy from his lighthouse on the shore. But to us, he gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. Let your lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the wave. Some poor feeble struggling seamen, you may rescue, you may save. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. Now to win the soul winner's crown, you need to shine for the Lord. But to win the soul winner's crown, you also need to be sharing. Take your Bibles and turn back with me to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, the 16th chapter, Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, the Lord Jesus is speaking. He's speaking in the beginning of the 16th chapter about an unjust steward. Luke 16 Beginning in verse 1, we read, He said also to his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward. The same was accused unto him that he'd wasted his goods. Verse 2. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be a steward. Understanding the predicament, 
We read the thoughts of the unjust steward in verse 3. The steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away my stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg, I am ashamed. In verses 4 through 7, this unjust steward begins to reason in his mind what he would do knowing that his stewardship is going to be taken away. He's thinking toward the future, and he thinks, if I curry favor of those who owe debts to my master, then they will come to be in my debt. And when I'm placed out of this stewardship, they will take me in. Look how the Lord Jesus applies this beginning at the end of verse 8. He says, the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. The word translated fail in verse 9 is speaking of death. Jesus is here saying, make friends by investing your money. That's what the mammon of unrighteousness is in verse 9. So that when you die, the friends that you make will welcome you into the everlasting righteousness of heaven. Simply put, Jesus is saying, think ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You need to be sharing. You need to be sharing your financial resources in order to be making everlasting, heavenly friends. Yes, he's saying that by contributing financially to the work of God, you're laying up treasure in heaven, but the treasure in heaven is not nondescript. The treasure in heaven that he speaks of here is those friends that will hear the gospel and will be there with you because you've invested in sharing the gospel message. Missionary Chapman had been a faithful witness. One day, he was summoned to the bedside of a dying Christian in Africa. Teacher, said the dying man, I'm soon to bid farewell. And because of Jesus... I'm leaving a pardoned sinner. When I get to heaven, he said, I want to fall into the Savior's arms and thank him for my salvation. Then, he said, I want to ask permission to stand by heaven's gate. Chapman said, why? Why would you want permission to stand by heaven's gate? The African man responded, I want to wait for you to come. Then I want to lead you to Jesus and tell him, Here's the man that showed me the way to the Savior. Perhaps in heaven one day, some blessed soul will come and say, All hail, beloved, but for thee my soul to hell had been a prey. Ah, then what sweetness in the thought, one soul to glory I have brought. Look at what the Lord says in verse 9. Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. That's money. That when you fail... They may receive you into everlasting habitations. That's heaven. You can receive the soul winner's crown by sharing. Are you sharing your wealth strategically, involved in the work of ministry? Are you investing in the good news so that someone can hear? Are you sacrificing so a sinner can hear the good news of the gospel? Those who would win the soul winner's crown win that crown by shining. They win that crown by sharing. Come back with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Here we discover you can win the soul winner's crown by seeking. Luke chapter 14, the 23rd verse. 
Luke 14, verse 23, we read, And the Lord said to the, unto the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be full. Andrew, one of the Lord's disciples, must have listened to the instruction that the Lord is here giving. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Because in John chapter 1, we read in verse 40 that Andrew first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we found the Messiah. He brought Peter to the Lord. Philip, another disciple of the Savior, must have listened to the counsel that the Savior gave because we read in John 1 and verse 43 that when the Lord called Philip, Philip went first and found Nathanael and brought him to the Lord. And so we asked this morning, are you seeking someone for the Savior? Is there someone on your heart that needs to come to Christ as Savior? Evangelist Gypsy Smith, many years ago, was conducting a meeting. And after the meeting, as the manner was back in that time, there would be a decision room or an inquiry room. He went to the inquiry room on the first night of the meeting, and there was a young boy who was there, and he trusted Christ as Savior. On the second night of the meeting, he went back to the inquiry room, and that young boy was there again. Gypsy Smith greeted him, and he said, I thought you trusted Jesus as your Savior last night. Yes, said the boy, tonight I've brought my mother. The next evening, he went back to that same decision room or inquiry room. There was that boy again. This time, he brought his grandmother. I remember years ago, preaching to a congregation where week after week, a lady with a scowl on her face sat right in the second row to my left. It was obvious that she was troubled. She had all kinds of questions that she asked. And after about four to six weeks, my wife had the privilege of leading Virginia to Jesus Christ as Savior. After Virginia came to know the Lord as Savior, she opened up about the challenges, and they were many, that she'd been through. I came to understand the reason for the scowl on her face. But more than that, I came to rejoice in the smile that had now replaced the scowl. And for the next months and even years, she would approach me and she'd say, Pastor Phelps, I saved my grandson this week. Now, that's not very good theology. Virginia doesn't have the power to save anyone. But what she meant by that was she'd share the gospel, how that Jesus Christ had died in her grandson's place, how that he took the sins of the world, including all of ours, when he died upon the cross. She shared that with a family member and then another family member, and then another family member. Sometimes she'd bring those family members to church if they were close at hand. And I love those testimonies so often hearing Virginia say, I saved my daughter this week. I saved my grandson this week. She was so filled with the joy of the Lord and so desirous of telling others. Today, there are those who talk about marketeering the church. They tell people to Look for the seekers. That's not the counsel of the New Testament. The counsel of the Lord Jesus Christ is you be the seeker. Go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. If you would win the soul winner's crown, be a seeker. Make a prayer list. Wake up in the morning and pray, Lord, now as I go to work or as I go out about my daily duties, help my eyes to be open to eternal needs and help my mouth to be open as well. Pick up some tracks out in the foyer. Put them in your purse or put them in your pocket when you have opportunity to see others. You see, to win the soul winner's crown, 
You need to be seeking souls. Come back with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. There's a fourth way to win the soul winner's crown. Luke chapter 10. You can win the soul winner's crown through supplication. Luke chapter 10. The second verse is a familiar verse. It's often used for missionary conferences. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, the Lord Jesus says, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Simply put, you can win the soul winner's crown by praying, praying that God will send forth laborers into the harvest, praying that God will encourage other people who share the gospel to share the gospel with your family member, your friend for whom you're praying, praying that the Lord will raise up those who will be preachers and missionaries and share the gospel with others around the world, how we need to pray the Lord of the harvest. Lifeway Research noted that the average pastor today is 57 years old. In the year 2000, the average pastor was 50 years old. Seminary enrollment is on the decline, so much so that the Wall Street Journal recently noted that the labor shortage within the clergy parallels shortages in other industries, and it's reshaping worship in some parts of the country as more congregations search for ways to operate without a pastor. The Southern Baptist Convention recently sent forth a bulletin that said one-third of the Southern Baptist churches in the state of Mississippi are without a pastor. 600 Southern Baptist churches in the state of North Carolina are without pastors. Romans chapter 10 asks the haunting question, how shall they hear, in verse 14, without a preacher? Pray, the Lord of the harvest, to send forth laborers. And while you're praying, pray for souls. George Whitfield prayed, O Lord, give me souls or take my soul. Praying Hyde of India prayed, Father, give me souls or I die. George Mueller was famous for his prayer life, praying for God to supply for the orphans who lived in his orphan houses in Bristol. When Mueller came to know Jesus Christ as Savior, he immediately began to pray for five friends that he knew that did not know the Lord. Within the first year, one of those friends came to Christ as Savior. Within five years, Two more of his friends had come to Christ as Savior. That left only two. Twenty-five years later, the fourth came to Christ as Savior. What about the fifth? One month after George Mueller died, that fifth friend for whom he'd been praying came to Christ as Savior. You can win souls through supplication. Be praying the Lord of the harvest. Be praying for souls. When you pray for souls, you pray... In the Lord's will, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When the Lord graduated our children to heaven in 2013. My wife's cousin, Diane, came to the funeral. Following the funeral, down here in the hallway, close to the gymnasium, Diane said to my wife, I did that this morning. I prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Linda had been praying for her cousin Diane for 39 years. The next year, Linda's brother Steve posted on Facebook, I was heading home to Iowa after the funeral of my niece and nephew. As I was heading home, I pulled the car over and I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. 
that year he was baptized in a good Bible teaching church to share with others the joy of coming to Christ as Savior. Linda prayed for him for 40 years. Who are you praying for? Don't give up. If you'd win the soul winner's crown, be a person who makes supplication for others. So how do we win the soul winner's crown? By shining and sharing, by seeking and making supplication. Come back with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Here we learn that we can win the soul winner's crown by sowing. Luke chapter 8, begin in verse 5. Jesus says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked it. And others fell on good ground, and sprang up, and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it's given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, to others in parables, that they seeing might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now, the parable is this, said the Lord, the seed is the word of God. You see, we're told to tell another. We're one to win another. We're saved to save another. As I was preparing for this message, I remembered a story that I'd heard years ago about a gentleman who'd been a faithful soul winner. So as I did some research to find that illustration, I found along the way that I would be inadequate in sharing this illustration. In fact, I think the video that we're going to close with this morning shares the illustration much more powerfully than I could share it myself. It's about a man who lived in Australia. His name, Mr. Ginor. This picture with his wife is there in front of you. You will need to listen carefully because the person who's sharing this illustration is sharing it with a British accent. It's an English Baptist preacher who's sharing the story of Mr. Genor. It's a story that's been told often, but never too often. Listen carefully. As you listen to this illustration on video form this morning, would you pray, Lord, help me to win the soul winner's crown. A number of years ago, in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London, the Sunday morning service was closing, and a stranger stood up at the back, raised his hand, he said, excuse me, pastor, can I share a little testimony? The pastor looked at his watch, he said, you've got three minutes. And this man proceeded, he said, I just moved into this area, I used to live in another part of London, I came from Sydney in Australia. And just a few months back, I was visiting some relatives, and I was walking down George Street. You know where George Street is in Sydney? And he said, a strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand, and he said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I was astounded by those words. Nobody had ever told me that. I thanked him courteously, and all the way on British Airlines, back to Heathrow, this puzzled me. I called a friend who lived in this new area, where I'm living now, and thank God he was a Christian. He led me to Christ. That Baptist pastor flew to Adelaide in Australia the next week. And ten days later, a woman came to him for counseling and he wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. And she said, I used to live in Sydney. And just a couple of months back, I was visiting friends in Sydney. 
doing some last minute shopping down George Street, and a strange little white-haired man, elderly man, stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a pamphlet and said, excuse me, ma'am, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got back to Adelaide, I knew this Baptist church was on the next block from me, and I sought out the pastor, and he led me to Christ. Now, this London pastor was now very puzzled. Twice, within a fortnight, he'd heard the same testimony. He then flew to preach in the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Perth. And when his teaching series was over, the senior elder of that church took him out for a meal. And he said, mate, how'd you get saved? He said, I grew up in this church from the age of 15 through Boys Brigade. Never made a commitment to Jesus, just hopped on the bandwagon like everybody else. And because of my business ability, grew up to a place of influence. I was on a business outing in Sydney just three years ago, and an obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a stop shop doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet, and accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I tried to tell him I was a Baptist elder. He wouldn't listen to me. He said, I was seething with anger all the way home on Qantas to, to Perth. He said, I told my pastor, thinking he would sympathize with me, and my pastor agreed. He had been disturbed for years, knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and he was right. And my pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. Now, this London preacher flew back to the UK and was speaking at the Keswick Convention in the Lake District. And he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, four elderly pastors came up and said, we got saved between 25 and 35 years ago, respectively, through that little man on George Street giving us a tract and asking us that question. Well, eight months later, that Crystal Palace Baptist pastor was ministering in Sydney. And he said to the Baptist minister, do you know a little man, an elderly little man, who witnesses and hands out tracts on George Street? And he said, I do. His name is Mr. Genor, G-E-N-O-R. But I don't think he does it anymore. He's too frail and elderly. The man said, I want to meet him. Two nights later, they went around to this little apartment, knocked on the door, and this tiny, frail little man opened the door. And as he sat with them, this London preacher told him all these accounts over the previous three years. This little man sat with tears running down his cheeks. He said, my story goes like this. He said, I was a rating on an Australian warship and I lived a reprobate life and one of my colleagues whom I gave literal hell was there to help me. He led me to Jesus and the change in my life was night to day in 24 hours and I was so grateful to God. I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day as God gave me strength. And he said, in 40 years of doing this, I've never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today. Do you know, I would say that has to be commitment. That has to be just sheer gratitude and love for Jesus to do that, not hearing of any results. That's 146,100 people. That simple little non-charismatic Baptist man influenced somehow to Jesus. And I believe what God was showing that Baptist minister was the tip of the tip of the tip of the tip of this iceberg. Goodness knows how many more had been arrested for Christ and were doing huge jobs out in the mission field. Mr. Genor died two weeks later. And can you imagine the reward he went home to in heaven? Nobody except a little group of Baptists in southern Sydney knew about Mr. Genor. But I'll tell you, his name was famous in heaven. Apostle Paul asked the question, what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? You 
our glory, and our joy. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast. Thank you.